I hope today is a day you remember for a long time. For the right reasons, for the right moments, and for what is about to transpire through the Word. A few days ago, I think maybe two weeks, Dale could tell me better, uh, he was texting with uh, someone, and I grabbed his phone and I texted with his phone to that person. And he was saying something about, um, well, you know, I could come by if I was welcome, or something like that. And, and the, the talk speak that I've learned over the years is a little different than the way most people communicate. So my responses obviously weren't Dale's voice in the way I said things. For example, the person said, you're always welcome here. And I said something like this, until I'm not. That's kind of the response that I use. It's, this is a good thing until it isn't. This is a valuable experience for me unless it's not. You always have these ways of communicating to give God the open door to make changes, to transform things. This could be a great day for God unless it isn't. The devil could have his way unless he doesn't. We have choices in these things and sometimes we forget that. And I hope that you know that God can do the impossible. Doesn't mean He will all the time, but it means He can. Unless He doesn't. But He can. Always able, our God is. Why do I say that? Because as we go through this message, I think you're going to hear yourself in some of the things that I share with you. You're going to hear how you think, maybe in a good way, maybe in a bad way. But all of this came out of um, the text from Matthew. And I have to tell you, the Gospel that Jesus is sharing with us and has shared with us is a social Gospel. By that, I mean it's not a private thing. It changes lives. If you belong to Jesus, others will be drawn to you for the reason that you can now outreach to them. If your life is not changed because of the Gospel, it's because you've only got a part of it. Which means you don't have the rest of it or all of it. Which means you need to keep pressing through and work out your salvation with fear and trembling. A lot of people see Christianity as an idea. A good idea, maybe. But some people see it as a bad idea. They see it as a philosophy, or a way of thinking, or a religion. I promise you, faith in Jesus Christ is not religion. Religion is organized, it's intentional, and it's about certain doctrine, credences, and guidelines. This faith in Jesus Christ is a living, breathing, transformative thing. It is real. It is alive. 
And so when you hear about Jesus' teaching, there are three things that the listeners would understand that we do not necessarily. We have in our mindset the body, the mind, and the soul or spirit. Three different mindsets or different parts of us, right? The body, our brain thoughts, that's not the body obviously. And then the spiritual part, the spirit that lives within us. Those are the three things we see. They see it differently when Jesus was speaking. They see it like this. There's this uh, heart persona. And the heart persona is what you feel, what you think, your emotions, and how that plays out in the world around you. The second thing is what you observe. Your eyes and your hands and how you interact with your environment. That's another perspective. And the third one is your internal or for lack of a better way, your spiritual aspect of your life, where you're connected to things on a deeper level. So when you hear Jesus say, if your uh, eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and throw it from you, He's not talking about the kind of thing where your eye actually makes you sin. But what they believe is, if you're, and He talked about the right eye, if your right eye caused you to sin, If your right eye, which they considered the right eye to be the source of wickedness in this world. And he said, if there's wickedness in you, then it's because of your right eye. So they believed what they saw caused what they interacted with and the source of it was the right eye. We don't know this stuff because we just take it at literal value instead of digging into it. But I like to dig a little. And I like to learn the real context of things. And today's context is incredible. As a matter of fact, you could have many arguments with many people who are believers about the very first verse. Judge not that you be not judged. Now this word judge here is talking about the heart part of the relationship in this world with their mindset. Now, let me share with you what I mean by that. The hard part is the motives. It's the intent. It's the fuel behind what's done. So, here's what he's saying. Do not try to put someone's intent or motives upon them because you do not know. Do not assume they're doing something because of something. This is called judging. That kind. In other places in Scripture, it says that we should judge one another to see if we're true to the Spirit and the Word. But that's talking about the kind of judgment that is interacted, Mary. Whether a person is walking according to the precepts of Scripture. Whether they're following the sound doctrine of the faith. Right? That kind of judgment says, reprove one another there. The kind where we say this person has bad intent, they have bad motives, let's not uh, associate with that person because, you know, they're just mean-spirited people. That's the kind of judgment He's asking us not to do. As a matter of fact, He's not asking us to. The phrase, judge not that you be not judged, is actually on the level of a command. Now you might say, but... uh, That's not a command, is it? Well, let's rephrase it and use the word that some manuscripts use. Condemn not. (coughs) Don't condemn somebody. 
You don't have that place. Only God knows their heart. Why? In verse 2, with what condemnation that you throw out, you will receive the same. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And I mean by others, yes, but also by your Heavenly Father. Have your motives always been pure? Please don't answer that out loud. We all have the same answer. The answer is not always. Not always. And so, when we look at this, we see that now we're talking about something that's dealing with the heart level. That we can't see another person's heart and their intent and motives. You ever heard... I don't know what grade in school this starts. I don't think it ever ends unless we grow out of it in adulthood. But it's like, you know, she said that because she doesn't like my shirt. How do we know that? We don't know that. Or, he doesn't like me because I said something to him about her and he thinks I said it. All this stuff, oh, you wonder where I get this from? I drive a bus. (laughs) I have two noisy boys who have non-stop motor mouth who say, well, you know, he likes her but she doesn't like him because he said something to him about her and it it goes on and on. The other guy goes, no, he didn't say that. I said, say he said it. I said, he thinks she said it. And then they argue about whether or not they said what they said for about 10 minutes before they finally get off the bus and they go, wonder why my bus is so quiet now. (laughs) That's what happens, isn't it? Uh They call it triangulation. Sometimes they bring in three more people and it's like a whole rumor mill. And everybody's confused. Nobody knows the truth. One guy was sitting there with his sister asking her to sit down and learn how to ride the bus because she's a brand new bus rider. And his friend is saying, don't be so hard on your sister. And of course he's going, butt out. Right? That's what you would say. Butt out, it's not your business, it's his family. And she has to be safe on the bus, let me teach my sister. He's going, just be nice to her. And he kept going on and on and on trying to tell him how to do it the right way. And finally, these two guys almost come to blows on my bus and their best friends. The last thing that was said between them is, I'm just trying to do my job. Leave me alone. That's the last thing they said because the thing I said after that was, why don't you move four seats back? Because I don't want to have happen what is about to happen in this situation. That's what happens when we begin to have a, a social world and we begin to see others' motives as unhealthy and we try to fix them. Or we try to tell others about it. And yet Jesus doesn't get content. <laughs> I love this word. Content with us understanding that's what He means. So He gives us an illustration. We love this illustration. We really do. We like to say, look at your own self first. That's what we say. Isn't it? And you go, what do you mean? Well, he says, why look at the speck in your brother's eye, but don't consider the plank in your own eye? What do we say? Get the log out of your eye before you talk to me. Well, we just done the same thing with our attitude of 
uh, harshness and bitterness by saying, look at you, judge yourself, don't judge me. So we now think they're judging us. And therefore, we see their motive and intent is harmful. Now we're doing the exact same thing. We have just circulated back around to do the same thing they were doing to us. We're good at this. Here's what's funny about that is the speck we're trying to get out of their life is the same size as the speck in our eye, but ours is just a whole lot closer. Things look bigger the closer you get to them. I used to live about 30 miles outside of Chicago. The Sears Tower was this tall. Can you see that? That's 104 stories about that tall. That's, that's really big, isn't it? <laughs> thousand people working there. It's not called the Sears Tower anymore. I can't remember what it's called because I'm just so used to calling it the other thing. So it looks that small, but in reality I'm going, that's a long way away. It's really much bigger. But I can just put a finger and block the whole thing out. Can't even see it. That's how big my finger is. No, that's how far away the Sears Tower is. When you get up upon it, and you put your finger like that, you can't even cover a window. And you look up, if you've ever done it, and go, wow, I can't even see the top of this thing. You'll get dizzy looking at how tall that is. But from a distance, it looks little. And so if I'm trying to clean up my view of everything, and I'm a long way away, I just got a little speck. But if I'm up close, there's a whole lot more to move. And Jesus is using that same example with the speck in someone else's eye that we're trying to fix. Well, we got the same speck in our eye. But we think that their problem is bigger than ours. So let's fix them. Or we think, I'll fix their problem so I don't have to worry about mine. You know people like that? I'm going to take care of them so I don't have to think about me and what my issues are. There's a lot of people that get peace by helping others and not working on themselves. Because if they sat alone quietly by themselves, they would go insane, worried about all the things they didn't do to help themselves. But Jesus is trying to tell us, know your own motive, your own thought, your own intent, before you ever interact with someone else. Why? Because if you do not, you will not know whether you're acting out of your own need or a sincere desire to help. The way you perceive the world is your experience. And that experience is your plank that blocks out your ability to see the experiences of other people. It's true. The way you live your life from day to day and someone lives theirs differently, you have no idea what it's like. Because that's how they live their life and how they understand the world. And you can't fix that. It's not broken it's different. So earlier this week, there was a post on Facebook from a friend of mine about this Pam handler that hangs out at the Walmart 
in Paducah. She's been there quite some time now, apparently making a good profit at it. And the conversation that was about this woman, I read through like 200 of these posts before I posted. I was looking at who they were, what they were saying. I don't often do this, but I know who this woman is in the sense that I've seen her a lot out there. The conversation began with something like this. Yeah, I helped her, but now I realize I just enabled her. And someone else was saying, yeah, I used to help people like that, and then I used to work in a convenience store, and I'd watch them uh, accept money, then they come in the store and buy stuff they shouldn't be buying with that money instead of helping their families. And so all these comments and all these attitudes, and I saw a few of them that I think fit in a lot of our lives a lot of the time. And the first several are all judgments that we make. They don't sound like judgmental attitudes. They sound like we're well-intended people trying not to get taken. And sometimes we'll say this, it won't do any good, they're not going to change. It won't change anything if I give them a little bit. That's a judgment call on your part. You don't know that. You don't know if that's going to be what gets them over the hump or not. They don't even know that. So how could you? Somebody else will say, well, someone else will help them. Someone else will come along and do it. That's how the church works. Uh, Somebody else does it. How does everything get ready for the dinners and and the... Time at Columbus Park. Well, I don't know. Somebody else does it. Those are judgment calls if you can't name them. Because if we need something done, we all should pitch in. Every last one of us. So that it's shared equally rather than a few people bearing the brunt of all the work. Doesn't happen that way because we make judgments and they're different. And and we'll get to why in in some of these in a moment. Sometimes we say, they won't appreciate it. They don't know how. It does not matter if they appreciate it. It's not the reason you do something. Because they're going to say thank you. If you do something and expect a thank you and demand a thank you, you're not doing it for the right reason. If someone doesn't say thank you, that's on them, not you. You've done a good deed. In the name of Jesus. Some people say, well, these people just take advantage of people. Others. They're just playing the system. I've heard that a lot. They're just getting money for nothing. One of the comments on there was, yeah, they're getting all this money and they don't have to pay taxes. Maybe I'll quit my job and get a corner. I don't like paying taxes. And then some others said, probably on food stamps, welfare, social security, all this other stuff. Plus that money, all three. They're getting mad. Why? Because they think they're taking advantage of other people. Some people are mentally ill and have no clue what they're doing. We don't know. We have no idea what that person deals with. I have no idea. And I'm not going to stand here and tell you that I know. I don't know. But what I do know, I'll tell you in a few moments because it's the heart of the message. Some of us say it's easier to ignore it. 
Well, if I just turn a blind eye, I won't have to think about it. it. won't bother my conscience. I'll feel better. But who's that better for? You or them? I'm not saying help everybody you see, but I'm saying you need to know why you're not. On honest terms, if God has said don't, then don't. But if He's put it on your heart to do it, don't make excuses. Just do what God asked. Generally, God puts something in your path to help them, not to ignore them. Here's what I heard a lot on there too. They're going to use it for the wrong purposes. I'm not going to give them money to finance alcohol or drug addiction. One person said, she doesn't even have any teeth. She must be on meth. It's true, meth does each teeth. But why didn't someone say, I think I'd like to pay for her a dental visit? Okay, listen. You're not getting this yet. They said she has no teeth, so they complained about it rather than saying, oh my God, she has no teeth. Let's get her some. Let's help. It's a cry for help. They're seeing the need and they're complaining about the need. It's a judgment call. that the need is not good because she did it to herself. Regardless, it's a need. We all deserve help at one time or another. Some persons say, well, I don't know if I'm going to do it or not. I have to pray about it. You ever heard that before? Hey, would you like to help with the food pantry? Well, let me pray about it. Why do you got to pray about it? You've been asked. That's God saying it's time. You don't need to pray about it. You need to pray why you wouldn't do it. Yes, I'm going to do it. While I'm there, I'm going to pray about it and see if I need to not do it. But we see, well, no, I'm just going to sit here and pray about it and then I'll tell you no. How about I pray about it and say, well, God just told me you need to do it. There you go. It's been prayed about. Do it. Wait a minute. That's not what I meant by pray about it. I, you know, I had to see my schedule. Well, I'm saying God just told you to clear your schedule. He just told me, so you've got to clear your schedule. Oh, that's not how that works, huh? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, because that's because you want to control what you do rather than God. And of course, the pastor couldn't hear from God because he didn't really spend a whole lot of time right now praying about that to tell you that. Therefore, it was not a legitimate reason. Mm-hmm. Here's another one. Why should I? I won't do any good. And here's another one. Why should I be the one? Why not somebody else? <laughs> Judgment calls. And then, and then there's the, cult, the kind of stuff that's based on selfishness. Oh, if the first ones may not fit you, these will. Uh, this catches more folks. Um, well, that's really not important to me, but it might be later. Mm-hmm. Maybe. But it's not important for me to help that person. That's what we say to ourselves. Mm-hmm. You're going you're to be surprised where I got these from. Because there's a list from where these came from. Well, I'm just saying I'm going to do it to look good. So other people think that I'm godly, but I'm not going to put a whole lot of effort into it because I really don't want to. Hmm. My personal agenda, my family comes first, and this person is not family. This person, this situation is not on that list. I've heard that one a lot. How about this one? It makes me uncomfortable. The person's kind of unclean, nasty, they smell bad. 
And I, I wouldn't know what to say to him anyway or what to do. Do you know, and I don't know if you know this or not, there's this thing out there, it's called Google. Internet. YouTube. If you don't know how, it's there. The how. There is no reason why in this day of age and information and technology we can't figure out how if we want to. If we don't know how and we don't try, it's because we don't want to. We can do just about anything. You can learn to kickbox on YouTube. Anything you can think, I don't want to do that. I just saw it on there once. How about this? I'm too tired, too busy, or too occupied. This is the number one reason people don't do this. Now you're wondering, where did all those uh, selfish reasons, judgment calls, excuses come from? It's the reasons why I didn't stop. The reasons I didn't help. The reasons I didn't go to this particular person. Mine. Yours may mirror them. You may have thought that was some great list I got off Google. No, it was in my own head. My own excuses. I bet you have some of your own special ones too. But listen to the next two. I will help you. Sounds different, doesn't it? I will help you. Do you understand how that comes across? I will help you. There is no saying, I will help you with this or that. I will help you. What help do you need? The second one, what else can I do for you? What can I do to make your life a little more easier today? What can I do to engage in your need? Those are different, aren't they? They sound different. But how many of us are using these other reasons to not say those two things? How can I help you? What else can I do to make your day a little easier? I'm going to tell you something. You cannot reach a person for Jesus Christ if you don't, first of all, invest in them. A lot of people say, here's a job application for them. But guess what? If they don't have internet or an email, you can't get a job nowadays. You've got to have a phone. Uh, understand this person has a, a phone. But I'm talking about you have to have a mailing address, an email, or you have no way to communicate with a future employer or potential employer to get a job. It's all gone technological. And it's true. How do I know? Because I worked with people who refused to give out their email and phone numbers to get a job. I did that at Four Rivers. It was very frustrating because I couldn't get people jobs who wouldn't give that information out. I will share this with you. If you really want to help someone, you will say, I will help you. How can I? And if you don't want to, tell yourself the truth. I don't want to because I'm selfish. Or I'm, I don't want to because I can't right now. But I will at this date and time. Amen. And here's how I will do that. 
Otherwise, we're engaging with it at the world's level, seeing it as it's all about what's good and what's bad, what's right, what's wrong, according to society. Nowhere is God in that. God's in the I will help yous. I can help you. What can I do to help you? I don't know about you, but I love when someone comes to the to my attention at the store who works there and says, how may I help you today? I love that. I don't like it when I go to a store and I can't find anybody to help me. I look and go, do I have the plague? What's wrong with me? No, it's not what's wrong with me. It's about customer service. We as Christians are in the business of customer service and our customers are broken. The lonely, the destitute. So which attitude do you carry of all those? Is your gospel and faith a social gospel of action? <laughs> if it's not, it's not a gospel. It's rather a, a personal vendetta with no transformation. All about you and not Jesus. It's weightless, mostly worthless fluff. Why? I love this. Because faith is shown by works. I want you to hear a couple of things from Scripture. I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to let the Scriptures tell you because otherwise you'd be going, oh, you're just saying that. I'll just read it to you. Hebrews 6.1. Maybe you've heard this before. Therefore, let's leave the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ and let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. And a faith toward God. Dead works has no faith. If dead works means you don't have any fruit, you don't have anything you're doing for the kingdom, those are dead works. We repent from those. This is immature Christianity. It's not full grown. But, if you're not sure what he means by that, I'll go over to Luke chapter 3 and tell you what John the Baptist said. And uh, when you hear these words from John... Maybe you'll hear them like his audience did that day. This is talking about John the Baptist. He went into all the region around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make His paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, the rough ways smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Then he, being John the Baptist, said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? The judgment of God. Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. Amen. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our fathers. I prayed the prayer, I have faith, and that's enough. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit, every tree, every tree, we are the trees in the kingdom of God, which does not bear good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the people then asked John, 
What shall we do? What shall we do? He answered and said, Whoever has two coats, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do so likewise. Tax collector said, What do we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Don't cheat anybody. The soldiers came. What shall we do? He said, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse them falsely and be content with your pay. Now as the people were in expectation and all reason in their hearts about John, whether he was Christ or not, John said, I baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming. I love this. Whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to lose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in His hand and He will thoroughly clean out the threshing floor. And He will gather wheat into His barn, but the chaff is going to burn with an unquenchable fire. John the Baptist was giving a warning and guess who came to Him? Sinners, tax collectors, people who knew that they were not godly in their behavior. So many believers today believe they are godly because of what they believe. But not what they do. Somehow they can separate what they do from what they believe and think it's okay. What do they say? Be holy on Sunday morning, but live like the devil Monday through Saturday. Repent for it later. This is not faith and action together. Scripture is very clear. It goes hand in hand. But here's the problem. The reason people came to John and the reason Jesus says, Judge not, is these folks are folks who know that they're doing those things. If they know that they need forgiveness. For some reason, we in the church have gotten to the point where we don't think we need forgiveness anymore. We don't think that we need to have a gospel of Jesus Christ that transforms us because we've already been transformed into the angels of light to the world around us because we're so wonderful. That's what we think, and it's just not true. We are being transformed daily, growing daily in Christ, maturing in Christ, and dying off to the flesh day by day. Because day by day, we also need to seek repentance and to bear the fruit of it. Today, I finally talk about this little guy under here. Eeyore. A lot of folks say, why is that thing in church? I'm going to tell you why. Eeyore is this guy who, for lack of a better word, doesn't think he's worth much. Doesn't think he's worth much at all. Imagine he's a person. Down, down and out. Broken. Asking for a handout from any passerby that will help. And, and instead of helping, they're, they're posting on social media saying, why don't they just get a job? I'm not going to give them anything, but they'll just spend it on stuff to make themselves feel good for a moment rather than 
to provide for their family. We don't know what their story is, but here he is standing on the corner, broken, and people are talking how bad that person is without even knowing him. And we all in our lives have experienced hurt and pain and sorrow. And we just say, would someone please pray for me? Will someone just notice me and notice that I hurt? When we lose a loved one or relationships fall apart or we lose a job, we all in this place know what it's like to struggle. We don't want someone to say, look, we shouldn't be struggling. We should be pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. We need someone to come alongside us and say, I will help you. What can I do today to make your day a little easier? What can I do so you don't have to worry? And all he says is, will you just attach my tail? When he's floating on his back down the river, if you remember on the blustery day, and he's going under the bridge, and he's looking at him going, Pooh, I'm in this flood, I can handle a little rescuing if you're not too busy. And they get a team of people to rescue little Eeyore, don't they? Every one of us needs, at one time or another, for someone to help us. It's not shameful. It's life. It's a broken world. You may not believe that you're an Eeyore that you were at one time. But God's only asking us to find one Eeyore and help one. The one in front of us. Not go digging and searching. It could be in our own home. You may not know that because you're too busy. But there could be someone in your very own home saying, I, I'm breaking. I need help. Please, notice me. Maybe you're in Eeyore. I kind of told you my story a few weeks ago how in the April of 2000 I became homeless on Easter Sunday. And uh, after a few days I wound up in a homeless shelter. I used to work in homeless shelters helping people who were homeless. So I guess it was my turn to receive rather than give. And um, there were two of us in this six-room place. Guy across the hall from me and me. We got our room, own room. We had a key uh, to our room so no one could get in there. We felt safer that way. And um, I remember, I didn't have much. A couple changes of clothes. I think a couple dollars. And, um, and, some, and some bag of food they'd given me. And I was sitting there on the porch with uh, the other guy. His name was Alton. 53 years old he was at the time. He just got out of prison. Didn't have a job. Didn't have a way to get income. Most of the world wouldn't hire him because he was a felon. And his track record for what he did wrong wasn't pretty. And we just sat there and talked most of the days. Passing time. And one day, I, um, I found a job and began working. And I bought an umbrella because some days it rains. 
After a while, I was offered some help to get home and a home to go to. And, um, and Alton told me that he had a job interview coming up Monday. And he wanted to look his best. And I said, I got a couple of shirts I was bought for this job because I earned some money. And an umbrella. And I gave him the shirts and the umbrella. And I said, it's supposed to rain Monday. Here's an umbrella so you'll be dry when you go down to your interview. And he looked at me with surprise. And he said, why would you do that? I said, because I'm leaving and you need this. And I want you to be able to get back on your feet. And he said, I've never had a friend like you. I've never had a friend before. And he handed me the key to his room. If you don't know what homeless is like, they protect their space with their life. You'll hear the conversations about people who panhandle in Paducah and they are very, very protective. You do not work my corner. That's my corner. They will go to blows very angrily over this. He hands me the key to his room and says, go in there and get whatever you want. Well, the rooms were upstairs, so I could have cleaned them out and put it in my room and he would have said, whatever, right? And I said, you want to go with me, don't you? And he goes, no, whatever. It's just stuff. I unlocked the door to his room and I walked into a place I never can describe to you. But from top to bottom, there were shelves full of food and clothes and provisions and so much stuff that he had gotten while he was there. The place was so full of stuff that I looked and I went, I'm in a thrift store (laughs) and a food bank and a clothing store. And he said, take anything or everything. I don't care. I saw brand new shirts twice as nice as the ones I gave him. I saw more than one umbrella. I saw more than he needed for months and months of living. And he said, I could take it all. I didn't grab much. Didn't need much. And I told him what I grabbed and put it in my room. And I gave him his key back. I said, why would you do that? This is what he said. I've been where you've been. And you're getting out. You're moving on. I want to be a part of that. The change in you. Someone else's life isn't important to you until it is. And you can't make a difference in this world until you do. You can't change anything about this world until you decide you're going to. And until you do, nothing changes. And everything stays the same. And the attitudes and the prevailing spirits about things and the forces of wickedness in this world remain until you change. It's a social gospel. And until it becomes one, it isn't a gospel at all. 
It's all about you and Jesus and nobody else. And that's never what Jesus has been about. My post on Facebook was the codependent post that said, I'll go, but I'm going to go two by two, so who's going to join me? Who will go with me? I need a female to go with me to talk to a female. Nobody stepped up and said, I'll do it. Nobody. Why? I don't know. Maybe because they had rather just talk on social media instead of being the change in this world. Maybe that's it. But I promise you, I don't post much on Facebook, but that day I did. Because I volunteered in a way that said, I'm going to do this even if I don't want to. Because this person's a redeemable soul. Alton saw me that way. I see you that way. Redeemable. And needing Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Yeah, I don't even know. I don't even know how to shake this world up in a way that says we're going to move mountains together, God. We're going to transform lives and we're not going to put anything ahead of that agenda because Lord everything is ahead of that agenda in this world I don't know how to change that and so we keep the plank in our eye God so we can't see clearly the issues in others lives and we're the ones who start the mess including me God I don't want this to be like that anymore that You would transform us in this church, in this world, through us. God, that You would make this important enough and crucial enough that we don't rest until we know that there's some way, somehow, some plan, some idea in place moving forward that transforms lives. And yes, Lord, we've been a lot with the pantry and the clothing and the thrift store, Heavenly Father, that help us to get more engaged in their lives, to know them at a deeper level, to love them that way. We got the first part done. Help us to do the second as a church and as individuals. Amen.